Welcome everybody to Dad Talk Today. I'm your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for being here. We have an amazing podcast lined up for you today. We are a podcast that talks about all things fatherhood. Before we start, please make sure to visit all of our social media websites, our podcast links, rate, review, subscribe, and help us towards the cause that we are trying to do here today. And no matter what you're going through today, Dad, we hope that this podcast leaves you inspired with your head held high. Keep fighting, and tomorrow you will find progress. Stay cool. Stay Dad. This episode brought to you by www.dadtalktoday.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dad Talk Today. I am your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've got an amazing interview lined up for you. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we were pleased to talk to Dr. Carlos Rivera. Guys, Dr. Carlos was a pediatrician in the New York area that saw himself, just like us, um, going through a divorce. During this time, he said his water bill was usually like $50 the whole time he was married. And then as soon as he gets divorced and he's on hook for the bills, he started getting $500 water bills. Not only that, between alimony and child support, he's paying about $16,000. What happened next? He got in arrears, just like any one of us. Dr. Carlos went to jail for being in those arrears for six months, and hearing his story about how far down this went will really get to you, so stick around. We're about to have that interview. Just a few updates, guys. We've got a lot of good things coming up to you right before the holidays. One thing, we we raised all the money for little Brian Adams, guys. To get his surgery. His story caught on with the media. They raised over $170,000 for this young man. To say that is impressive is an understatement. Also, Dr. Mark Roseman, our very first interview on this podcast, actually um, had something happen at the Toby Center, which is the biggest family transition center in the United States. And unfortunately, that was a funded position. So they lost like $30,000 of funds from the sponsor and was about to have to close the Toby Center. The guys over at Dad Talk today, I went live, guys, for eight hours, and I had many guests that I want to thank personally for helping me. Trying to find content to go for eight hours is not the easiest job, but guys, we, we raised money for Dr. Mark, and I'm here to tell you the Toby Center is staying open. They got the funds that they needed. Uh, this community is getting stronger every day with conversations and getting the things out. You know what? The media doesn't cover us, so we are becoming your media, and we need your help. If you're here and you're listening, please go follow us on Facebook, Dad Talk Today, and most importantly, go follow us on YouTube. We're really trying to get over to YouTube, guys, Dad Talk Today, where most of these interviews have already taken place, so if you're waiting to hear these interviews, you can go there and get them right away, but I want to say thank you to each and every single one of you here, and I'm sorry I haven't put out much content on here there's a lot of things going on guys i'm actually trying to put this together right before going to a talk show up in north georgia we're going to be on tv today we're going to be plugging dad talk today and some of the issues coming up and wish me good luck i hope i represent you well other than that guys we're still looking for sponsors um 
If you would like to become a sponsor of the podcast, join us at patreon.com slash dadtalktoday where you can become a member at the $25 level. We are running a special all the way through the end of December that if you become a $25 patron, I'm going to take all the proceeds at this moment in time and we're going to make a founder shirt with your name on it. And I'm going to send it to you in the mail just to say thanks for helping us out. That's one of the things that we're wanting to do because we desperately need the help, guys. While a lot of people just see this as a podcast, what we're doing behind the scenes is really big. We're not just doing a talk show and then leaving it there. It is from the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep because people are tired of this. They want changes and we are trying our best to use our voices to make sure those changes happen. So any little bit of support you can give us goes a long, long way. Other than that, guys, thank you to each and every single one of you that have supported this podcast. I promise you, you have not seen nothing yet. There's more shows being added, and that will be on the way. Lots of programming coming, and I'm so excited for that to happen. Other than that, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Dr. Carlos Rivera. And there's only one thing left for me to say to you. Um, I'm hungry. I'm just kidding. I haven't ate breakfast. I am serious, though. I am hungry. But no, stay cool, stay dead, and we're going to catch you guys later on down the road. Love you guys. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dad Talk Today. Uh, We're glad for you to be here. I am joined with an awesome guest, Dr. Carlos Rivera. Dr. Carlos, how are you doing today? Not bad, not bad. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. I'm very flattered, so thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. I've, I've been looking forward to this one. I've been reading up a little bit on your case, and I, my mind is blown. This is the worst I've heard of thus far, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, Dr. Carlos, tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, and what your childhood was like. Um, well, I'm from Long Island, um, Long Island native. Everybody from Long Island started out in, uh, in Brooklyn and then ends up on Long Island. So I grew up out here for a while. Uh, I went to undergraduate med school residency all on Long Island. So I've been here my whole life and I uh, had a pediatric practice in Patchogue for a while. Yeah, I, I guess getting into this, I, um, I was talking to him a little bit about this before the broadcast. Um, how long were you married for, Dr. Carlos? About 15 years. Yeah, so it's, yeah, 15 years. When, what year was it your divorce started? Wow. It's funny when you try to peg towards years. I'm like, oh, what year was it? But I think, give me a couple of seconds. It started, the separation was in 2009. My divorce was official in 2011. So I was, you know, there's a lag, you know, from when you get started until the whole process and the paperwork and whatnot. But yeah, 2011 is when it all started. So Dr. Carlos was uh, a victim of what I think is the worst child support and alimony I've ever heard of. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process and how that got set up? Sure, sure. Well, what ended up happening was that, you know, my ex and I separated. And um, when we were getting towards the divorce signing, I wanted everything to be to be as smooth on the kids as possible. I have four kids. Uh, we had four kids. So I was like, okay, listen, um, I'll keep everything the same. You stay in the house and everything with the kids. And then the verbal agreement we had was that, you know, once, once our youngest went to kindergarten, then she, my ex would start contributing financially. Uh, part really what went wrong is like, you, you don't find these things out till after the fact. So that's why I do a show. And that's why shows like yours help because we try to catch people 
before this happens because right. they don't end up like me. So what ended up happening was that, you know, the divorce tip was written and it basically it said that I would pay her child support, maintenance. Now my child support, in lieu of child support, I had to pay the mortgage on, on the house we were in. So that's $6,000 a month. So that came out to be over $1,000 a month I would have had. Like it would have cost me about a little under four grand. It would have been my proportion based on my salary for four children. Right. But I agreed to pay six. But what really got me was that I had I ended up uh, agreeing to pay for my ex's truck. She had a Yukon at the time. Her car insurance, her gas, the house utilities, extracurricular activities, all this other stuff. So what ended up happening is that my ex knew this because she had a family friend that was an attorney. So my ex from the beginning went to torpedo me. Like I used to get $800 light bills. My patients would come to my practice and be like, Doc, I passed by your house and every light was on. And I was like, figures. So I was getting these $800 lighting bills. I got water bills for $500. And for those people who don't have a house yet or, you know, whatever, my typical water bill was $50. I had two water bills for $500 in a quarter. So instead of $50 for, for four months, mine were 500 you know. So she did things like that to purposely, you know, sink me. Like she used my corporate card one time. And uh, she put between November and December before Christmas of 2009, she spent over $15,000 on Christmas. You're like, who does that? You know, so it's just like, you know, these are the things that ended up getting me behind. And another thing that I'll tell you, I'll tell you listeners is that I made the mistake of, you know, giving my ex cash. So my ex came up with a number that I was behind and I borrowed it from friends. I gave like 20 grand. Somebody let me borrow 20 grand, gave it to me cash. And I turned it over to my ex without a receipt, without anything. So, you know, I want to warn your viewers that like you have to, no, no matter how smooth you think it's going, you have to protect yourself. Right. You know, so I tell people all the time now, when you have a divorce tip, make it fair down the line. Here's the percentage you owe for child support. Here's, you know, here's my salary, all that stuff. Make it fair. If you want to do something extra and nice, do that outside the contract because the contract makes you liable for it. And once you sign that, there's no changing it. You know, so that's one of the things where people would say like, Doc, you gave her money without a receipt. And it's like, you know what? I didn't want to set her off. Let me just give her the money. She says she needs it for the kids. Fine. So then when we got to trial, because she took me for contempt because I couldn't keep up. And when we got to contempt, miraculously, uh, she had no recollection of cash I gave her. You know, so it's just like, and then my, my attorney at the time was the world's worst attorney. Everybody will ask me, give me the name of your ex's attorney because I want to use that attorney. It's like her, her, her attorney wasn't good. It's just the attorney I had was so bad that I ended up getting tanked. You know, so my attorney at the time, I said, listen, let me subpoena her bank records because if we subpoenaed the bank records, you could see that I gave her 10 grand here, 20 grand here, you know, in cash. My attorney actually told me you couldn't do that. So I was like, all right, you know, if you say so. And these are the things that I, you know, I want people to know because, like, you know, from what I do for a living, I have to explain to people, okay, you know, you, your kid's sick. Here's what's wrong. Here's what we got to do. Like, I have to explain it in detail. And I'm responsible for the information I give you. You know, with attorneys, they can get missed deadlines, give you bad information. And honestly, there's nothing you can do about it. Technically, you could sue them. Good luck. I'm in the process of a lawsuit right now against the attorneys who took me under. Really hard to find an attorney who's going to sue other attorneys. It went through seven judges had to recuse themselves because they knew the attorneys. 
And then the chief judge out here reappointed, he appointed a different judge who then dismissed my case. He's like, well, where's the, you know, where's the due process? You know, it's supposed to be a random assignment of, of judges and my judge was assigned and then lo and behold, my case was dismissed. And my judge also has um, political connections out here. So his wife ran for, ran, I don't know if she was elected, but basically she's in a political office out here. So these are, we're kind of jumping around, but these are the kind of steps they take to, you know, basically to destroy you. You know, so that's kind of like a complicated process that I kind of put in a nutshell for you. We can expound on the, uh, the details, but you know, these are the things I want you, your, your listeners to know, like be careful from the get go, you know? Absolutely. Uh, wow. That's a, that's a lot to take in. How far along was you in the process before you knew that your lawyer was taking you down that path? You know, uh, that's another thing in the very beginning. And that's what I want to tell people. My, my attorney, what ended up happening to me was the attorney that I, um, I retained, I took care of his kids. So here in Long Island, there's a small town called Patchogue. That's where I was living at the time. That's where my practice is. And um, I returned this guy, I retained this guy, it's supposed to be, you know, hot, you know, hot. And he ended up giving me an associate of his. So now we're in the pretrial hearings. And I was like, you know, my gut was telling me this is all wrong. So I went to the attorney I retained and said, listen, this isn't going well. Like, you know, they're saying this, you know, during the trial and that and the other thing. And it's not true that like, you know, it's, it's looking bad. And my, the attorney I retained was like, oh, it's going to be okay, Carlos, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I was under the assumption, like, again, with what I do as a physician, if it's in the chart, I'm responsible for it. So if a kid comes to my practice and he's new and the parents only tell me like a little bit about what's wrong with the kid, but it turns out the kid had all these allergies or these medical problems, I am responsible for everything in that chart because that child is now my responsibility. So now when I'm in court, I provided all this documentation. They made a big deal about how much documentation I put, like all these boxes. So I have my personal financials, my business financials, all this other stuff. And I thought that they, you know, the magistrate would review it and make a ruling. So while I'm sitting there, my gut's telling me the trial's going bad. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm responsible for everything in the charts. So if I provide all this documentation, they're going to see that, you know, they're going to see what's going on, on my side. And they're not, you know, they're certainly not going to rule against me. And, um, you know, again, for you listeners to know, you can provide all the documentation that you want. If your attorney doesn't discuss it during the trial, then it's not an evidence. There's nothing you could do about it. So even me thinking I, I submitted it all, that it was an evidence, it really wasn't. So I basically just gave like three, you know, three file boxes full of financials that, you know, I would have been better off, you know, um, setting on fire and warming up my house. Yeah, it's a crazy process. Totally crazy process. Yeah, absolutely. After this started out, May 21st, <coughs> 2013, you got behind and you had to go, was it jail or prison? Uh, jail. Jail's like yeah. a shorter term. Prison's when you're going up for longer term. But right. I'll tell you something else. You know, we had the trial, right? Now I was telling you about the paperwork. Yes, sir. And they have three months to give you a decision. So we're going on three months and I'm sitting here with my fiance like, oh, this is good. They must be reviewing all the paperwork. And, you know, they could see that, you know, my ex is claiming I'm behind, but I'm not behind, you know, to the extent that my ex is claiming. So about three months after the trial, I get a letter for the maximum sentence. They awarded, even though I gave, I gave my ex $494,000 in five years, right? That's how much I dished out. She still got a judgment for 160000 
So now I go in front of the judge. That was the magistrate. So I had the trial with the magistrate. The magistrate recommends the, the highest penalty to the judge and $160,000 judgment. The judge then gives me um, a purge. She says, come up with $80,000. And I was, you know, I looked at my lawyers like, you might as well put me in jail today. And I don't have $80,000 because I literally had nothing. So at my sentencing, the judge is like, you don't have a retirement. You don't have an IRA. You don't have a watch that you can sell. And I was like, no, I have nothing. I didn't even have a car. I had a lease that I had to turn in the lease. So I didn't even have the car at the time of my sentencing. I was borrowing one from a patient, to be honest with you. So patients are lending me cars. So I go on the 21st and I'm like, they're not going to lock me out. But, you know, you know, it's unbelievable. So she gave me a purge and I couldn't pay it. So then I had like, I don't know what it was, like two or three weeks to come back. And what, what they do in court is when somebody gets a judgment, they threaten you with jail because they, a lot of people say, I don't have the money, I don't have the money, I don't have the money. Then they do a, a night or two in jail. Then all of a sudden they had property they could sell. Their family comes up with the money. And then these, these get paid off. I didn't have anything. So I show up on the 21st. And next thing I know, I'm in handcuffs and off to a holding cell in the jail. So, it, you know, it's a crazy thing. And, and honestly, when I was sitting there in, in the jail cell in, in court, I was like, I can't believe that this is going on right now. Like, I, you know, I'm in a little, little jail with a steel bench, a steel, I don't know if anybody in, on your show has ever seen a jail, but, you know, the jails have like the little toilet with the, uh, the, the sinks the on top sink, of the yeah. toilet. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just shaking my head. Like, I can't believe I'm actually in here. And that was... That was the beginning. Next thing you know, I'm in jail with like, you know, guys who got arrested for like dealing drugs, uh, you know, selling guns, robbing banks, you know, gang members. You know, now I'm mixed in with this pool and I'm a pediatrician that paid half a million dollars to my ex in four years. And this is where I end up. It's crazy. And I did, you know, I did six months. When you go to jail for child support, if you don't come up with the money, you stay there the whole time. And if, you, if I had been um, sentenced for a different crime, let's just say that I robbed a bank, like one of those guys who was there, um, you, can, you can actually get time served or time off for like, you know, good behavior, that kind of stuff with child support, unless you come up with every penny of what the judgment was, you're staying. So I stayed six months to the minute uh, until I was released. So it was, it was crazy. I was ended up, the, what jail was for me was at first, we were in a converted gym. So there was uh, a big gym in the jail. And then around the, around, it was like a U around the jail with bunk beds. So there was about, I don't know how many of us there were there, like about 80 of us there. And I was on the work crew. So depending on what work crew you were on, it was, you ever see the movie Planet of the Apes? Yes, sir. Where they all have different color uniforms? Yes, sir. That's what it was like in jail. You know, the guys in white were in the kitchen. I was in orange, so I got to go, I got to work in the jail and outside of the jail with, you know, two armed corrections officers watching over us. Uh, the guys in orange were allowed to work in the jail, like custodial kind of work. So we were all mixed in there together in big bunk beds. And I was in there in the gym for like five months. And then they put us into what was called a pod, which is actually when you watch TV, that's what it's like, you know, the main central part. And then there's two, two floors of cells. So that's where I ended up for the last month. Yeah, it was, the whole thing is surreal. You know, I can go on and on about what jail was like, you know, because that was a whole world in itself. I, I want to hear about it. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, I would well, like to hear about it. What was going through your mind in that that point in time, knowing that this system made you go through? It was crazy because, if, you know, of course, I can't believe I'm there. And what the scary part is, I knew nothing about jail, right? So all I knew was what it was on TV. So now I walk into jail thinking, all right, I'm going to get beat up, you know, because I'm not in the gang. So some gangs, you know, I'm either going to get picked on by white supremacists or, you know, the Bloods or the Crips, you know, you name it, with Latin Kings. I go in there and all of a sudden I see two guys who look like stereotypical, you know, uh, Brooklyn Italian guys like mafiosa. And I come walking in and I'm like all paranoid. And I don't know, you know, don't talk to anybody. Don't make eye contact. And then they come over to me like, you're the doctor, huh? And I was just like thinking, holy shit. Like, how do these guys know who I am? And word travels fast in the jail, you know? So, uh, so they found out I was a doctor and, uh, you know, so I'm really scared that I'm going to get beat up now. And uh, it, it's kind of weird when you go in, in jail, like people actually start looking out for you right away. Right. You know, so I, I start getting my stuff. And then one guy's like, all right, listen, this is, you know, I put the sheets down, you know, on the, you know, because they give you a mattress. I was on a steel bunk bed with like this thin mattress it was like this big. And like, all right, here's how you make, the, you know, here's how you make the bed. You tie, you know, you tie these ends of the, the, the sheet together and then you slip it onto the mattress one guy's like, you know, uh, look, you're going to need, you know, you're going to need some sweats and stuff. And here's another thing. In jail, there's like a little, you could buy stuff. It's kind of like a jail store and it's called commissary. So I said, with commissary, you can get stuff like toothpaste, um, you know, uh, candy, that kind of stuff, sweats. Yeah. Yeah. Ramen noodles. That's <laughs> kind of big rice. It's a rice. Uh, so you know, but when you're in there for child support, my my uh, my fiance, you know, put a hundred a hundred dollars in my commissary account when I got there. Child support enforcement confiscates it. So now the only underwear I had was the underwear I was wearing. Yeah, so I couldn't get underwear, couldn't get socks, I couldn't get anything from commissary because all that money gets gets taken by child support enforcement. So the first day I'm there, I get a guy, you know, I get a crack addict who now he worked on the laundry crew. So he got me underwear, he got me sweats, and he got me this. And, and honestly, you know, I was scared and embarrassed. And I'm like, you know, I'm choking back tears. I'm like, I'm now, like, I, I got a crack addict who's getting me underwear. Like, this is, my, this is where my life is now. Like, I was never in trouble. You know, I kind of grew up in working class, you know, Long Island. Um, you know, like, you know, so we, we, we were humble, but we didn't have money. But, you know, I never found myself in a situation where like now somebody's giving me underwear, you know? And it was just right. like, well, you know, what's going on, you know? So it was, it was tough, you know? And um, what made it even tougher was that my, my patient, I hate calling them my patients because they're, they're really good people. They're families that I got close with and I took care of their kids. Um, they, they really, you know, went to bat for me and they, they found me, they found me a legal advocate, this guy named Gary Jacobs, and I don't know how they found him, but they found him, and they ended up uh, collecting money for me to get another attorney to try to get me out of this mess. And this guy promised me, I'm going to get you out. I know this judge. Wait till next Friday when this judge is on the bench. I'm going to go up in front of him. We're going to get, I'm definitely get you out. I'm definitely going to get you out. So here's, here's another story for you listeners to look into. When your attorney tells you they know the judge – because they might have been before that judge before, but what's going to happen is they don't want to get the judge upset because they're going to have future cases with that judge. So they'll tell you, I know the judge, I'm tight with the judge, when in reality, 
they're going to just do whatever the judge says. It's not like they have special pull with the judge and they're going to turn your case around like they promise you. You know, so how many of your listeners have been out there and like before your attorney gets the retainer, they're patting you on the back. This is a slam dunk. We're going to get you out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, we're going to bury your ex. And then once they get your retainer, I don't know anything, you know, and then you got to just keep coming up with more money, but it's all promises before the retainer. So, you know, my, my, uh, my patients came up with money. My fiance's ex-husband, who you figured he'd be glad that I was in jail, he ended up kicking in eight grand for an attorney to help getting me out. Like there's such a big difference between my fiance's, my fiance and her ex's breakup and mine and my ex. Like my fiance and her ex, they'll, they'll go to kids, you know, to this day, we're talking 12 years now. They'll go to, you know, sports events together. They'll take the kids away together. They celebrate, you know, big occasions like graduations, all that stuff. They do it together. They look out for each other. My ex and I, even though I would want it the same way as my fiance, my ex and I, it's the 180 degrees polar opposite. My ex will find any way to make me miserable. And she brags about it. She's very proud of herself for doing the damage that she's done, you know, and nobody benefits from it. You're not asking questions, but I'm going to keep going a little bit more. No, no, I'm just taking it all in. You're good. Yeah. Now when, cause I'm, I'm trying to tell people like what happens, you know? Yes, sir. So let's take, let's take a guy like me. I get $160,000 judgment. Now here's what happens when you go to jail. In New York, it, it's equivalent to about 15% interest, right? So if you have a bank account, you're not making more than 3% interest on your bank money, right? right. When, you go to, when you go into the New York State child support system, it's 15% interest on your money. But on top of that, there's a federal incentive, right? So in New York, it's $7 on the dollar from the federal government. So you take a guy like me. And let's make the math easy. Let's say instead of $160,000, she got a $100,000 judgment. So now the, the court system, child support enforcement gets 15% on my 100 grand, plus they get $7 on a dollar. So that's now another 700,000 that they're getting in Title IV-D federal incentives. So it's a beautiful system for them because, you know, you get a guy like me locked in, I am never getting out of this debt. So within six months of being in jail, that $160,000 judgment became a quarter of a million dollar judgment. And I used to get child support bills when I was in jail. So I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not even allowed to have a pen and you're telling me to cut checks while I'm in jail. Like I, I have nothing. I'm completely wiped out by this process. So I, you know, I used to laugh. I would tell people, hey, you guys want to see what a $180,000 bill looks like or here's $220,000 in child support. And that's, you know, so how much did that go up to a quarter million? So it, my interest went up $90,000 in six months. Think about that. You know, how many people, like, what's the average salary in the U.S.? Like about 40 grand? Right. So it was more than two years, more than two years of a salary for the average single, you know, white, you know, blue collar guy. And uh, it was insane, you know, so these, you know, the system's designed with the Title IV D incentives to bury somebody. My, my, my arrears got up to about $680,000. And then my ex took me to contempt for contempt the second time. And luckily the judge, you know, the judge reamed me out because of my social media stuff. You know, I had 
at a radio show. I do a YouTube show. And that became a big focus of my trial, right? But in the end, after beating on me throughout the whole trial, he reduced my, my, um, my judgment to $400,000. That was close to two years ago when that, when that judgment ended. Jeez, two and a half, almost three years ago. That I'm back up to just under $600,000. You know, so think about that kind of interest in three years. It now went up. And this is after the judge reduced everything that I was supposed to be paying my ex, right? right. So now I'm back up to six, like just about $600,000 in less than three years. That's a hell of a lot of interest. If I bought a house, I wouldn't be paying that kind of interest. And on top of that, the child support enforcement gets two-thirds of what I make. So I found myself on disability, you know, for basically for depression, the depression and PTSD from being in courts the whole time. Right. My ex gets two thirds of my disability. So I'm left to live off of for the past three years, $760 a month. But my ex gets 14, whatever it turns out to be, 1440 a month. Plus from social security, she gets additional money for each one of the children I have that aren't emancipated. So now I have four kids. So my ex now gets $1,400 plus another $1,400 from, from the welfare system. But I'm left on $760 a month to live off of. And that's another thing for your listeners to, to look into because what ends up happening is that they don't care. Now, this happens to women too. So I don't want to get into the sexist thing. I'm talking right. only about guys. I'm not, a, I'm not a father's rights guy. I'm a parents' rights guy. Yes. So when you look at the statistics, you look at the numbers, mostly men are finding themselves in this position. Yes, sir. I've seen people like if you there's a there's a person who has a great um, a great show and a great um, Facebook page called the Child Support Hustle. Her name's Kenya Raman, and she's out of uh, I think she's out of Texas. But yes, she posts things, and you see these guys getting checks. Like by the time taxes are taken out and child support deduct deductions, they're getting checks for less than a dollar. So they're working the whole week, everything's taken out, and they get a dollar to live for. Who can live on a dollar? You know, for me in New York, $760 to live off of. If I wasn't living with family right now, I couldn't even, maybe I could rent a room. I wouldn't be able to afford a car. I could barely eat. I wouldn't be able to have any money to have to spend with my kids. You know, and that's what the system doesn't look at. So now let's say that if I was, if I was working, and let's take an example of somebody who made a lot of money but now can't make that kind of money. So when I purchased my home, I did it in 2006. That's when the real estate market was crazy and houses were selling for like twice their normal value. The market crashes in 2008, right? So what happened to all those mortgage brokers who were, mortgage brokers who were making ha money hand over fist? Their, their market's gone. So they're not making that kind of money anymore. Find a guy who owned the video store or Blockbuster. Nobody watches, you know, VHS cassettes anymore. That, that business is gone. It's, it's a dead dinosaur. Right. But now if that guy was making $100,000 a year back when his, when his business was flourishing, now he can't make it. His imputed income now is still at 100000 So what the court tells you is, well, get a second job. Get a third job because your earning potential is $100,000 a year. So I don't care what you're doing. If you get an ice cream truck and you sell an ice cream now, you better sell $100,000 worth of ice cream every year or else you're going to find yourself in jail. So imputed income is another trap. 
So when you when you're imputed at an X amount, I keep saying a hundred thousand because it makes the math easier. But if somebody's making a hundred thousand dollars and you can't keep up, you're screwed. So now now they're threatening you with incarceration. So it's like okay. So the court says it works under the doctrine of in the best interest of the ch children. Does it pay to lock up a parent for money? Right? Is that in the kid's best interest? Because if I was still married and I could no longer make my peak salary. Your family has to figure out what to do, right? So now if I'm married and I used to make a hundred grand, now something changes, my business goes under or like, you know, the market changes, you know, like I, I, nobody goes to Blockbuster anymore. Now, you know, instead of a hundred thousand dollars, I have to figure, my family has to figure out how to live on 60 grand, right? right? But I still spend time with my family, still see my kids. When you get a judgment against you and you're in family court, they don't care if you see your kids at all ever again. They just want to see that money coming in. And they know you can't come up with the money. So what happens? Now you find yourself back in court, right? So there's motions, there's attorneys, there's attorneys for the children, there's parenting classes, there's all this other crap that, that now you have a cottage industry. So it's not just court now, it's not just family, support, family um, child support enforcement. How many people who watch your show now have to go to visitation centers because they have um, supervised visitation? So now instead of seeing their kid at home, they now have to go to some facility to sit down with their kid. You can't hug them. And it's some stranger sitting there writing notes the whole time right. about what's going on with your kids, right? That costs money. So I've seen guys who are getting next, they're living on next to nothing and it's costing them a minimum of $75 an hour to see their kids, right? So now you're stuck in a weird spot. I don't have enough money to live. I want to see my kids, but now I have to, I'm going to a place that I can't afford to even see my kids now. So again, is this in what's in the best interest of the kids? Or what people need to realize is this is corruption at its best. Absolutely. At its best. And people need to know, like, nobody believes it can happen. Like, so everybody who's watching your show or watches my show, they're like, you're preaching to the choir. They're like, I know what you're talking about. It happens to me. I, to this day, people know my story, and I explain these kind of details to them, and here's the face you get. What? Like, they can't believe it. It's like, listen, you saw me go to jail. You saw me lose my practice. You know, you, you know I've had, I've gone to the park. I used to make good money. Now, I, I drive a car that somebody gave me. I've had patients loan me cars, loan me monies. This is no exaggeration. They have given me clothes. They have bought me clothes. You know, so I went, you know, I worked hard my whole life. I went to, you know, basically a super geek. I was always in school, did the right thing. I was an Eagle Scout, went to med school, was making an honest living as a physician. And now I'm basically, I'm a charity case. I can't tell you how many times I've walked around my hat in hand asking people for money. You know, and I've had, you know, I've had patients lend me money and lend me cars so I could see my kids on my visitation day, on my visitation weekend. Like name anybody who's ever had a doctor say, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, Joey's sick. Here's, you know, Joey's got an ear infection. Here's his, you know, here's his medication. And by the way, can you spot me 50 bucks? Because this is my weekend with the kids. My practice was like that. I would actually ask, ask the parents of the kids I was taking care of if I could borrow money so I could see my kids. No lie. No lie. You know, and, and, and when you think about it, I'm luckier than a lot of guys because you look at my, everyone looks at my numbers and like, oh my God, your numbers are crazy, but it's relative. You know, if I'm, if, you know, I went in, I was in jail with a guy that was a carpenter, right? right. And he lost everything. 
So, you know, even though his, what he owed in child support was like, he got, he got put in jail for $3,000 worth of child support. But by the time you take his living expenses and he was having trouble getting by, his three grand might as well have been my $250,000. It's all relative. Right. Right. Yep. So that's, that's why I got to tell people. It's like people get all like with my numbers. They're like, wow, doc, I can't believe this happened. And there's all this money. It's like, you know what? I'm luckier than the guy over there who, you know, he's a mechanic, he's a carpenter, whatever. You name some other honest profession. And, you know, you look at the percentage of what he makes, the, you know, it's, it's the same. It's the same right. thing. You know, so I always tell that. I'll tell you a quick story about this guy I was in jail with. Yes, sir. This guy's a carpenter, right? And, you know, the economy, the, you know, the, the real estate market crashes. So nobody's getting work done on their houses, right? Because everybody's upside down. The foreclosures are skyrocketing. So he has no work and he falls behind on child support. His ex now sends in a petition for contempt for failure to pay child support. While that's in motion, a big hurricane hit. I don't know if your viewers remember Hurricane Gloria, wrote Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. So Hurricane Sandy comes, wipes out Long Island, right? So now this guy has a ton of work. So he went from having no work and he was behind on child support to now he's working. He's making his child support payments and he's giving some of, he's giving, he's catching up on the money he owes. But by the time he goes to trial, he's still $3,000 behind. So the judge, and this is how easy it is. They ask your ex, he doesn't have the money. Do you want him incarcerated? And this is what my ex did. My ex with my, my sentence, like I have a pediatric practice. If I lose my practice, everybody goes. And my ex wasn't working. I was the source of income. But what she did to be spiteful was just like, well, she told the magistrate if that's what it takes, right? So they leave the decision to have you incarcerated with an ex-spouse who's, who's gunning for you, who wants to hurt you, right? So this guy's ex was just like mine. Now he doesn't have $3,000, so now he's going to get sentenced to jail, right? So mm -hmm. the judge, so now he starts telling the judge, does this make sense to anybody in the room? I'm, I I'm now have work. I have work lined up. I'm making my payments, plus I'm giving her what, I, what she you know, I'm, I'm catching up on the payments and for $3,000, you're going to lock me up. Doesn't make sense. And then the judge says, you know, what makes sense to me instead of $3,000, you now have, you now owe $4,000. And instead of three months incarceration, you're going to get four months incarceration simply because he pissed off the judge and said, does this make sense? Now the story gets even better. This guy's brother passed away from cancer. The brother's wife uh, has a house and she has an autistic, a severely autistic child, the kind of, you know, a child who's so severely autistic that can open the door and would take off out of the house. So they have to have all these special locks. So now this guy, when this was all going on and he was trying to catch up with payments, he was sharing a house with his sister-in-law, right? So there's no relationship going on. It's simply his brother died. He's now sharing a house and splitting costs with his sister-in-law just to get by. So she uses the car at night to work a night job. He uses the car during the day to do a day job. And they're, they're, splitting, they're splitting the house. So now this guy gets locked up. And the woman he lives with, his sister-in-law, starts going through his divorce tip. So it turns out this guy was paying for a kid that by his contract had aged out. So now he's behind on child support for a kid that he technically was not supposed to be paying for anymore. Here's the next thing that your listeners need to know. 
your your step might say that when our when your kid is emancipated, right, or finishes college and lives on their own. So you can have an 18 year old that gets emancipated, and once they do, you don't have to pay child support anymore, right? Or in my case, my kids have to finish college and be 22 years old. So now his kid's over 18, but he didn't notify his the court that his child aged out. So unless you notify the court, the court keeps collecting money on you. So they don't can, even though they know full well that your kid is aged out until you go to court and say that my kids no longer, you know, I'm no longer responsible because they're emancipated. Um, you keep paying. So now this guy's in jail. He's behind on $3,000 for this, something he never even owed in the first place. So now she tells, she gets an attorney. She's like, listen, here's what's going on. He's locked up. He's not even supposed to be paying this money. And the attorney says, you know what? By the time you get my retainer and we do all this, one, you can't afford it. And two, by the time the process is all done, it's going to take three months anyway. So you might as well just have him finish doing the time. So this guy's like, so I'm not even supposed to be here. And now I got to do the full sentence because I can't afford an attorney to get me out of here. And I, to me, that was like a crazy story. It's just like, you know, the guy's catching up. You should have let the guy just catch up because now what happens? He lost the work that was lined up. He gets out now. So now he's probably not going to get paid on the jobs that he finished. He had jobs that were in progress that he didn't finish. He's going to lose that money. They're probably going to sue him. And then he lost the work that was lined up. So now you took a bad situation and you made it worse. Now I'm going to go back to my story. By the time my, my six months was up, I owed a two, my, my child support judgment went up to $250,000. But now let's look at it. Now to be in jail cost over $200 a day when I was there, plus medicines, because I had high blood pressure and all this other stuff. So you have to give my medicines. Then I had about 11 employees that now had to go on, um, they had to go on public assistance because they didn't have a job anymore. Right. Some of their kids needed to go on state subsidized health insurance because they can no longer afford insurance. I had four kids that I was paying for on their insurance. My ex has me locked up to find herself now going on welfare, and my kids now have to get state-subsidized health insurance, right? My ex now, who wasn't working, now because she's on welfare, they made her get a job. So this is the first time in like 12 years that she ends up having to work. So everybody else on the planet has to work. My ex doesn't. So the point I'm trying to make is you take my $250,000 judgment but by the time you include the collateral damage with all these people going on state health insurance and the money that was lost, employees who used to be employed, it ends up being six times worse in taxpayer dollars than the judgment that child support, that the judgment the family court got on me. So that's another thing that I want you listeners to know. It's like, listen, if you find a guy and he's like, he falls behind or a mom who falls behind, it's like, you know what? He's a deadbeat dad. He's a deadbeat mom screw them, put them in jail, that's what should happen. It's like, well, that's all nice until you find out that now you, your tax dollars now are going towards the system. So now when your, when your property taxes go up or your kid can't go to school anymore because they don't have enough money for, to keep a school open, they can't pay a teacher, they can't pay for schools like sports or extracurricular activities, that's because the money's so mismanaged. And child, you know, the courts and child support enforcement, they're getting their money. So they, that's what they want. They want their money. But now somebody who has nothing to do with your divorce or my divorce, the neighbor next door, now their tax money is going to the system. 
So people need to know, like, listen, you got to fix this system because it's siphoning money out of everywhere and it's costing everyone around you money. So when I was in jail, I saw people that like, you know, these guys who got some guys, I can't believe like, you know, I could say like anybody could have got a DWI at some point in their life, really be honest. Some of these guys were on their fifth or sixth DWI. It's like at that point, like really, you know, you really, there's a problem here. But these guys, they would get ankle bracelets, right? So now their parole officer could follow them around. They had to get these, you know, those systems in their car that they had to blow into it so they had to pass yeah. a, a breathalyzer before their car starts. So now if you get a guy like me and I'm some piece of garbage dad that's not paying child support, you know what you should have done? You should have put an ankle bracelet on me because all I do is work anyway. So I would have went home. I would have went to work, garnished my salary, and it's not it's costing the taxpayers a fraction of what they had to pay out, right? The system's still getting their money because I'm trapped. But now you're not incarcerating people. But this country incarcerates more, more people per capita than even third world countries. And I found that mind blowing. So, you know, you know, the, the population of China is like incredible. I don't know what it is, a couple of billion, right? Yeah. They, and it's a communist country. They incarcerate less people per capita than the United States. You know, so one of these things, to, and that's another thing that happened to me. They didn't exhaust. They're supposed to take all these steps to exhaust before you incarcerate somebody. So nobody ever said, okay, we're going to, let me, let me, um, you know, let's put an ankle bracelet on you. Let's, let's garnish your wages, you know, before this all happens. They basically, I had a trial, had a horrible lawyer. They got a judgment. Nobody garnished my wages. Nobody did this. Nobody did that. They just threw me in jail. You know, so that's another thing that I want people following the child support system and this whole, this whole mess to look into. So if you need, if you know somebody who get, gets a bad judgment, they're in court and now they're found in contempt, they really need to be aware that there's a sequence of steps, basically a checklist of things, you, these opportunities you have to give people to correct the arrears before you incarcerate them, right? Which right. didn't happen in my case. And there's a lot of people out there that are in the same boat as me that just had different jobs. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I just talked to one here recently. He makes $150,000 a year. And that was at his best, but they said he had a projected to where he can make up to 200,000 and he's paying 100% of his paycheck over to his ex. He has nothing yeah. left over at the end of the day. I was like, this is, this is crazy. It's, uh, it's I, I've got so many questions right now, but uh, how uh, I'm mad. And at the same time, I'm in, I'm big at admiration. Cause how do you keep yourself sane? I mean, it, I know that it had to be really hard. Did you, you know what, though, that's where the PTSD comes in, because, um, you know, what I what I do, there's something called white coat syndrome, like doctors who wear white coats. People would come in and they get like just the anxiety shoots through the roof. And I would have people that I know. They're like, hey, listen, my blood pressure is high. Can you check it? And, you know, they didn't want to come to the office because they hate going to doctor's offices. They wanted me to check it at their house. Right. And it's just like, well, fine. I got the stuff I could check at your house. But like, it's, it's just me. It doesn't matter. They're like, I just hate being in doctor's offices. Your listeners know what it's like. What happens when you go to court? You're freaking out, right? Mm. You got all this paperwork. You got the attorneys getting $350 and up an hour. You're afraid. You're intimidated, all this other stuff. So, it, you know, it, it induces PTSD in, you know, in, in the people who are unfortunate to go there. And what happens is the court induces this stuff. They give you ridiculous amounts of judgments you can't make. You're not seeing your kid, but you still got to pay child support. All, you, know, you name it, like the stuff that happens in family court. So what happens? 
people now their anxiety goes through the roof and it's it's an ongoing traumatic stressful environment so what happened to me was my depression got horrible like i got admitted to the hospital twice for depressive episodes right and the ptsd was crazy so i ended up going on disability because of ptsd and depression but you know, I'm lucky in that, you know, I had a good support network. You know, I had, you know, I had family that's really, really helped me out. My fiance has been tremendous. She's, I, I used to tell my fiance, just, just go, you know, get, just get as far away from me as possible. Cause look, my whole life is court paperwork in and out of court. Your life is on hold because I'm on in court all the time. And she stuck with me through all this, you know, so I had a good support system. And at the time I was seeing all four of my kids. Now my two oldest don't sp- speak to any me anymore. It's been over six years for my oldest and about seven years for my oldest and going on three and a half for my, my uh, second kid. But I still see my two youngest. But I know guys who have one kid, they don't see their kid, or they have two kids, they don't see either of their kids. So you know what? I got four kids I see too. If I had two kids and didn't see them, what's worse, right? I'd rather be with my four and still seeing the two than this poor guy he doesn't see his kids at all, and he's still paying whatever, his child support and all this other stuff and gets no visitation. So here's another thing I'm going to tell I keep talking a lot. I'm going to let you answer questions. No, you're, you're good, brother. You're good. But, uh, you know, one of the things I think would come, bring the system to a halt is that, listen, most if, – if you have a, two fit parents, right, so not a parent that's like, you know, a, a major criminal or, you know, is a, a huge substance – abuse issue. If you have two fit parents, the child will have a loving relationship with both parents. If you get divorced and suddenly one kid wants nothing to do with the other parent, 100% guarantee there's parental alienation going on there. So if, if you have a divorce and now one parent is alienated, the offending parent should then not receive any child support. If you feel that it's not necessary to encourage a relationship between your child and your ex-spouse, then you obviously don't need that spouse's money to raise a kid. So you know what? I don't think that that person should be liable to pay child support anymore. And you would see all these cases of alienation would come to a grinding halt because the use of children as these weapons in court would now be gone because, well, I still want my money. And if I make, you know, if I now poison my kid's mind to not see that, you know, their mother, then, uh-oh, I don't get money from the mother. So I better make sure that my kid has a relationship. Now, it's stupid to have to do something like that, um, you know, to, to protect a relationship with the child. But let's face it, people, this is the way people think and people use kids as pawns. So for those people, this would be now a major deterrent for them poisoning a kid's mind and, you know, destroying the ability of a parent to stay with their child. Because children will... In a situation with parents split and you have, you know, uh, a defending parent, the kids always 100% side with the aggressing parent, right? Because they, it's safer for them to appease the parent who is aggressive and then the parent who's more docile now gets cut off because it's easier for the parent, it's easier for the kid to write off the, the mellow parent and stick with the, you know, the, the, the harsh parent. And that's what you see. A lot of times, most of the cases of alienation, you will see that the child is bonding with the aggressive parent. So it's almost like nice guys finish last. So if you have a mom that's very docile, she lets stuff slide, and you have a father that's very aggressive and, and mind controlling, 
the kid's going to bond with that father. You get a vindictive ex-wife who poisons the kid's minds against the father. They're going to align with the mom. And then the nice guy is going to get basically out on a limb. You know, so these are all the things that happen. I just got to ask, what, what do you think makes her want to do this to you? It's um, some people are just vindictive. You know, my ex, and she took me back to court three times for contempt, right? On the third, on the third contempt during my trial, my, I had it, now I had no money. So I had to get a court-appointed attorney because I am broke. So I had a court-appointed attorney, and he's asking my ex, do you think that what you're doing is in the children's best interest? She wouldn't answer. He asked her again. She wouldn't answer. Hemming and hawing, not you know, trying to skirt around the question. So after like the sixth time, he says, do you think that this is in the best interest of your children? Yes or no? My ex said no. She knows it's harmful to the kids, but just to spite me, she does it. So she knows, you know, she knows my kids are getting hurt. I have one, one child who has severe anxiety and depression, and she's seeing a therapist. She's on medication. And my ex can't see what she's causing. She just wants to torture me and pretend she likes to think of herself as a wonderful, loving mother, when in fact, she's vindictive and she's hurting our kids. And it's not just her. How many parents you have out there, fathers who are doing this to their kids, mothers who are doing this to their kids. They're not thinking of what's in the best interest of their kids. They're too focused on spite and hurting the other people, and they lose sight of what they're doing to the kids. And in every case of divorce, the kids are always the ones who suffer. Even if it's an amicable divorce, the kids suffer. We got a question from one of our uh, fans. He said, why do you believe this has been allowed to continue without any pushback? Um, well, one, it's a, it's a moneymaker. They make a tremendous amount of money. When you look at the court system, it's a $70 billion a year industry, right? So let's go back. You know, now tobacco industries can get successfully sued, but you go back 15, 20 years, you couldn't touch a tobacco lawsuit. There was no way you were going to win, yeah. right? And they're a $35 billion a year industry. So now you take an industry that has twice the lobbying power and you're fighting the people that make the rules, you're never going to win. You know, and we're certainly not going to win if your listeners or my listeners don't get out there and get vocal. And why don't they get vocal? Because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them in court. So you, there's millions of people out there that are affected. They know exactly what they're talking about, but they're afraid to come out. They're either, they're either so depressed from not seeing their children or from being bankrupt or they're scared of their attorney. So now, you know, I'll, I'll go to protests and on a good protest, they'll see the typical protests. I'll go 12 to 20 people. You know, when I did these marches in Washington, maybe we got 150 to 200 people. There really should be thousands of people at these protests. Absolutely. You know, and when, and when you show a couple thousand show up in front of a court, a couple thousand people show up at a state capitol, you're going to start getting attention of the judges and, and the uh, politicians. And that's what we need to do. So that's why it continues. People are too afraid to get out. Absolutely, Dr. Carlos. And that was something that a bunch of our members was asking us earlier today. They was like, Eric, when are we going to march? You know, we just need to go ahead and do it. And I believe that if we do something like that, like you just said, it's got to be in numbers because if you do it and you don't do it right, it's, it's just not going to get anywhere and it could actually hurt you. If we unify this movement and we actually get people to come out 
and stop talking about it. If you want change, you're going to have to become the change. You're going to have to be yeah. there and be a part of this. If we get everybody together and there is a big enough movement and we are standing there peacefully and telling them we want change, it will happen. Yeah, it, it will. Guys. The other thing, too, is a lot of people are afraid. That I don't want to be the protest. You know, it's going to be on social media. My judge is going to see it. Your judge is going to screw you anyway. So you might as well go to a protest, you know, because my judge was furious. You know, when I was, you know, I had a show, um, I was on CNN, all this other stuff. And the judge was like, well, you know, you skip a court appearance to be on CNN, but, you know, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. And I said, you know what? I have my beliefs, you know, so they like to pretend that justice is being served in their courts. And we all know we all know the truth. So for the people that are afraid, you got to get out there. You know, that's how that's how the corruption continues is because we sit silently and we allow it to happen. So honestly, we have no one but ourselves to blame for this mess. I agree 100 percent. People want change, but they don't want to do the actions behind it. And it's it's much more than our single cases. Guys, if we're going to do something about this, we've got to come out in numbers. Yeah. And uh, I preach this every day. Dr. Yeah. Carlos, I swear to God, I preach it every day. And then next thing you know, they're not there. And it's if yeah. we're going to do this, there's there's just too much politics going in inside of this thing. And we got to get everybody together. We have one common denominator, and that is our children. We're fighting for our children here in cases mm -hmm. like this. I, I mean, I know I haven't said much this podcast. I'm just my mind is blown. I don't know how you're able to even sit here and speak right now. You went through no. all those years in school and busted your ass to have this kind of life to go through jail. And it's sickening. That is pure sickening. And guys, if we don't do something now, stuff like this is going to continue to happen. And uh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Nah, you know what, though? I, I look at it. I spent a lot of time, you know, like, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I would like be in tears. I had to pull over to the side of the road because I was just like too emotional to, to, to go on. It's like, you know, and I'd be like, you know, God, if you know, if you want me to say I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you're trying to teach me something, I, I get it. I really do get it. And then the obvious dawned on me one day, you know, like, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes a, a, a person's kid gets cancer, a person's kid dies, you know, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm with somebody and I, I go to work one day, I'm like, hey, have a nice day, I'll see you later, love you. And then my spouse has a heart attack and dies. Like, who deserves that? Life just throws you stuff. So the way I look at it is that, you know, I would have never chosen this, but, but from, from it happening to me, I think I could still help a lot of people as a physician, a pediatrician, speaking out on the behalf of kids and speaking out against this, you know, against the corruption in the system. So I think it's not what I would have chosen, but what fate had in store for us. Kind of like your podcast. Right. How did you end up with a podcast talking about this topic? You live in it, right? Yes, you know, absolutely. It, and you're doing this to help other people. Yep. That's why it's so important. And then that's, you know, everybody, we, you've got something that you can do inside of this. I mean, you need to find and just being here and supporting one, but we've got to get our voices and we got to get them loud. Um, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but then again, I don't is how do you survive? <laughs> because I don't want to ask you any questions, that, you know, that no. could be used against you, but you said you're living with family. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm living with family and, uh, you know, that they're helping me out, you know, so I, I basically went from having my own house to I have a room in my aunt's house now. You know, that's, that's where I'm living. And uh, when you look at, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a car now. But then when you look at 
you take $760 a month, right? This is what I get to live off of. Half of that goes to a car. <laughs> when you think about it, right? $240 a month in, in uh, you know, in, in um, insurance for the car. Then about like another buck and a half, you know, for gas. So that leaves you most of your money for the car. The rest of it is to buy food and spend time with my kids. That doesn't really leave you much, right? right? So again, I'm lucky that I have a good support network. A lot of people out there aren't that lucky. You know, I've, I've, I've interviewed people. One guy that he lived in his friend's walk-in closet for a while because he had nowhere to go. And his friend didn't have any extra room for him, but <laughs> he just ended up in the guy's closet. How many people been on your show? They lived out of their car for a couple of weeks or a couple I've of months. Many, yep. Right? Yep. You heard it. You know, so I'm luckier than most. But those are the stories that your show has, you know, is getting out there and letting people know. It's like, listen, this is how ridiculous it gets. We need to do something. We need to unite. You know, maybe we'll sign a Facebook petition. That's great. Maybe we'll show up at a, you know, show up someplace. So maybe, you know, effective, start writing to politicians. Say, hey, listen, this is going on. What are you going to do about it? And then also vote. You know, 90% of the population doesn't utilize their power to vote. They just blow it off. They don't want to be bothered. And then of the 10% that actually votes, most of the time, we just vote people back in because we, we're familiar with the name. Those are the signs I was seeing on the side of the road. I saw this commercial. I kind of remember this name. So let me vote in this guy who hasn't been doing his job for term after term, but we put them back in office because we're familiar with their names. Vote right. these people out. Get rid of them. Right. Absolutely. Um, we got another question on the board here. They wanted to know uh, how did Dr. Carlos deal with his PTSD? Um, well, <laughs> I ended up on disability. Um, so I'm better now. I'm looking to get back in the swing, but I was, you know, I was seeing a psychiatrist. I was seeing a therapist. I was on medication. I still have to deal with court, you know, so I'll go to, I'll go court watch for people. And it still makes me anxious. It's not even my case. And like I start walking into the court and I get that tight feeling in my chest. I have to take deep breaths, that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm used to being in court now. Right. And it's still tough for me. You take someone, this process just started and it's crippling. So for me, again, it's just a good support network. And that's how I'm dealing with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. And so I you just get it. What's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm looking at your, I'm looking at your questions, you know, so you have, you know, people, you know, say we got to get boots on the ground, you know, and, uh, you know, somebody, one of your viewers lived in their car, another person was living in the garage someplace. Like you have a lot of people on your, you know, who watch your, your podcast that they're identifying and they got these questions, you know, they, they know what it's like, right? you know? And it knows no financial that. situation. It, it, it gets from the very bottom all the way up to the top. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's everything. And, and again, you know, it's the average guy. You know, I was watching, I don't know if your viewers ever heard of a documentary called Divorce Corp, C-O-R-P, like corporation. Yes, sir. There's an attorney in there called Gloria Allred, very famous, famous divorce litigant. She says justice comes to those that can afford it, right? So if you got a lot of money, you're not getting affected like, you know, me and you and your listeners. You know, it's the blue collar. Look, I'm, I wasn't even blue collar when I got destroyed. But you take your, your hardworking, average day guy, average day woman, and they're getting destroyed in this process because they don't have the money to litigate. Right? right. So, you know, people need to. That's why we need to bond together. We need shows like yours to tell people, look out for this. Look, when you see this written in your stip, fix it. 
or here's the other things to like, I know again, I'm running over a lot and I'm talking on too much on your show, but like one thing that I didn't know is right of first refusal. I don't know how many of you listeners are familiar with that. I knew nothing about it. So now my ex, when she wasn't, when she had to go out to do whatever she was going to do, she would have either her family or her neighbors watch my kids and deny me the opportunity to see my kids. If you have a, if you have something in your step, like right of first refusal, you're, X is now obligated by the divorce stipulation to have to ask you first before somebody else gets to spend time with your kids, right? So my old neighbors spent more time with my kids than I did. Crazy. But these are the things that your show can warn people about. Yes, sir. I mean, we we try to touch on a, a little bit of everything, but I think the thing that we get asked the most, and it seems to be asked a lot on this one, so I figured maybe we can just go ahead and cover on it. What are some what are some solutions, Dr. Carlos? It just outside of just marching. What are some things that you think we can do to really raise the awareness to the next level and get this thing ramped up to where we can end this war? I, I well, what are you doing? Right now, what are you doing? You have a podcast. I'm looking at you. You have, you know, you have looks like you have a lot of viewers going on right now. You know, I've done podcasts, I haven't seen these kinds of numbers. You you go out there, you reach people. I don't think that we're in competition with our podcast. I think that you have your group of people who identify with you and they follow your show. I got a couple who follow mine. You know, somebody else has a show. We need more people out there talking, raising, you know, raising awareness, telling people what's going on. And we need to get people out. We need to get people voting. We need to get people writing to politicians, say, listen, this is going, this is happening to my brother, my neighbor, my sister. Something's got to be done. You're in office. I'm, I'm telling you, you need to do something about it. You know, so we got to do those things. Got to show up in numbers of protests, you know. So, you know, you got to show up in front of court. You got to show up, you know, at the state capitals, all these other things. And, you know, people be like, well, I can't make it. I'm working during the week. It's like, okay, well, the, the politicians aren't in session on the weekends. So you're going to have to make some of these protests during the week. And if you make a, a weekend protest, that's great because, all right, people aren't working. I could go to a protest on a Saturday, but we're going to protest on a Sunday. But then we're not going to be addressing the people who really need to see it. But then we got social media, right? So you do your Facebook Live, your YouTube thing, your Periscope. Just get people out there and let them know you're pissed. And there's a lot of people watching your show right now that are pissed. I can see the comments. They're pissed about it. They need to get out there. They need to do something about it. I agree. Again, all the difference. We've we've got to grow the numbers, guys, and I think once we do, that's when it's going to be the time to pull the trigger. And I, I tell them mm-hmm. that every day. But it's, you know, I, I understand it. Uh, we understand what you're going through, and we're we're going to continue on with these discussions. And I'm glad to hear. Also, absolutely. I mean, we are all in this. We're a team. We're we're touching on the same issues, mm-hmm. and the more yeah. awareness that we can bring the better. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, uh, Dr. Carlos, and when that airs. Um, you know, I kind of was on hiatus for a little bit. You know, I had I, my, I, my sister passed away and I took some time off to take some time, but I'm basically doing um, uh, a podcast on Village Connection Radio and I'm going to be doing Monday nights at uh, 10 o'clock. My, my schedule changed, but that kind of works out because you're California viewers, right? If you're at right. 10 o'clock, you kind of make it after dinner. So that works out well. But I'm doing that, and I was doing a show called House Calls with Dr. Carlos where I would go to people's houses, right? Because what I wanted to show with the YouTube series is like, 
let me show you what it's like in a house for some woman that got busted. You know, like she's, her ex took off, isn't giving any money towards, you know, child support, do nothing. And now she used to have a, you know, a modest house. Now she's living back with her mom or in her mom's basement. You know, let's find, you know, let's, let's interview this guy that ended up living in a store. I've, I've talked to people that um, camped, that they lived on campgrounds, that people who actually rented storage facilities and lived in a storage facility, got a gym membership, and that's where they would shower. So for 10 or $15 a month, you got a gym membership. You can now shower, and then you go back to your storage facility, and that's where you stay in at night because what's a storage facility? Anywhere between $75 and $100 a month, right? So you can't afford right. rent, so that's where you're staying until the storage facility figures out what you're doing and they kick you out. But these are the stories I want people to see. So instead of like you know seeing me in the studio talking to somebody it happened to, with the YouTube series, I want to go to people's houses and say, here it is. Here's what yeah. it looks like. Here's what it looks like to get destroyed by the system and to be, this is what I'm left with. You know, so those are the things I'm doing. And, and is that going now or you said that's something that you're about to be doing with the house calls? I, I start, everything's like, you know how things flux, you know, what you show right. like, oh my God, I had this piece of equipment and I got to do that. With the uh, the house call series, I had somebody who was doing my editing for me because I don't know how to edit. So I, right. I have all the equipment, the cameras, and then that person moved back to Las Vegas. So now, like, I don't have an editor. So I got to figure out how to edit it. So I haven't done a house calls episode since late spring. I'm looking to get, I'm looking for an editor and get that back online. And uh, as far as my podcast, I'm getting back on track, and it's going to be on. T- um, uh, it's called In the Best Interest of the Children, and that's going to be Monday nights at 10 p.m. Gotcha. So, I'm going to be looking for an editor. If there's any editors out there right now. Let me know if you find one because I'll need to talk to them too. Absolutely. So, I got a few people in mind I'm going to email you about after this. Well, per- personally, again, like, you know, my luck is my, I live with my aunt. My aunt says, you're the luckiest unlucky person I've ever met. Right. right? So I had somebody give me a car. That's how I'm getting around now. Um, you know, I lost my practice and lost everything. Uh, so I found somebody who believes in me and she's financing me to get back into pediatrics and open up another practice. You know, I should be dead in the water right now. And, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have some good, really good people in my life that are helping me out. And, uh, that's how I'm getting back on track with that. And, uh, you know, as far as the podcast, I want to get back out there and help people because, when I'm doing these protests and stuff, you usually, you know, you, you usually meet the same people. We know that we're friends with them through social media and all that other stuff. And I, I would tell people, I, I have friends I know my whole life and I love them. Guys that I like, I consider them my blood brothers. Okay. And I, I, at this point in my life, because of everything we've gone through, I tell people all the time, I have more in common with people in this movement than I do with people that I grew up with or even family. My family's been supportive, but after a while, like, you know, this is going on for 12 years for me. You know, everyone's got to move on with their life, you know, but for us, this is, this is life. This is what we live. So it's important for us to stick together. You know, we got to support each other. You know, this guy's, you know, you know, this mom misses her kid. She's having a tough time getting through the day. Spend some time on the phone with her. You know, this guy's distraught, can't keep up with child support, doesn't see his kid. Let's talk on the phone, get each other through, you know, your shows, your, your posts, they help people. You know, I've been out on the street. I'll tell you another story. I don't know how much time you got left on your podcast. Oh, no, we're fine. We're good. I went out. I took my kids to a place, a a place in Patchogue, right? It's like a small little town. And I go to, I go to, I go to walk in my kids and somebody, I've never met them, goes, hey, how you doing? 
And I'm like, okay, good. How are you doing? He goes, you know, I just want to say thanks because I've been following your story and it's helped, it's helped me to get through. And I'm like, I don't know this person. You know, this person, you know, it's, I'm that guy. Like I'll bump into people like, oh yeah, I know you, you're the doctor. But in this case, it blew my mind because like, I don't know you. I don't know you. I had no idea we were friends. I don't even know if we we're friends on Facebook, but he was following the story. And he said it inspired him to get through what he was going through in court, right? So right. you have a lot of people out there who are following your posts, who are following your podcast, that they're not commenting, they're not saying anything, they're just watching, and you're helping them through the situation. You know, that's why it's so important for you to stay out there and keep doing what you're doing, because there's that person out there that you, you, you might, your show might be the difference between them seeing, to, seeing tomorrow or not seeing tomorrow. Because how many people do you know they're right on the edge, right? Oh, yeah. They're hanging on by a thread. They, they don't know how much more they could take. They're just hanging on. And they listen to you. They listen to the people you're interviewing. And it inspires them to like, just get me through this day. Just get me through this day. And I'll worry about tomorrow when it gets there. You know, and that's, that's the people that you're helping with your posts and your show. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I mean, we're, we're fighting that battle every day. There's every day there's yeah. somebody else is they're at their breaking point and you can tell, you can tell when you, mm -hmm. when you talk to them and it's, it breaks my heart because I don't know how much sure. longer we can just let this continue. And it just keeps getting worse and worse every day. I think I've heard the worst story. And then the next, I mean, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous, man. This, but, you know what I'm saying? And the, you never hear them all. You know, I've been, you know, again, I've been, I've been an activist for only six years. There's people out there have been doing it for a long time. But within six years, I've heard every day stories. People message me, they email me, they text me. And like you thought that like, you know, oh, yeah, I heard that. I heard that. But I'm telling you, every day something happens is like it, there's no shortage of new stuff, new kinds of um, either corruption or, you know, just unbelievable things that people are forced to go through because simply because they got divorced. Right. You know, people's lives are upside down and all. What did all of us want to do? OK, we're in a relationship. Nobody ever gets into a marriage thinking like, oh, yeah, me and you are going to split up in two years from now, but I want to get, I want to get married right now. Nobody thinks that. Yeah. You got married. You thought it was going to work out. And for a lot of us, it doesn't work out. But who, you know, you should be able to just be allowed to move on. You know, like just work together, live peacefully. If you have kids together, work together. You know, more people got to be like my fiance and her ex because their kids – they look out for their kids. You know, they, they do sporting events together. They help each other out. And their kids are about as well adjusted as you can be coming from a divorced family. Right? Right. And that's more people got to do that. Too much. We're, we're trained to fight. So now what happens when you watch TV, right? You watch TV and it's a messy divorce. Yep. You watch a movie, it's a messy divorce. They're, they're gunning for each other. Someone's not letting the other one see a kid. How many times do you watch a movie and a divorced dad is like incompetent, doesn't know how to cook for the kid, doesn't know how to change a diaper? It becomes cliche. You know, you got a lot of good moms out there doing the right thing. They're independent. They're strong. They got a good job. There's a lot of dads out there who want to be in their kids' lives. They know how to make something besides mac and cheese. They know what end of the kid to put the diaper on. You know, they're not, you know, it's not like what we're being trained to think of parents a certain way, we think of moms as victims, we think as dads as incompetent, we think that instead of working together, we need to fight each other, we allow the lawyers to, to instigate fights and keep the fights going. You know, we have to realize that like, get away from lawyers, don't even start with the lawyer, try to work it out yourself. If you can't work it out yourself, go to a mediator. Because when you start telling your listeners, listen, 
Go to a mediator, and for a fraction of the amount of money it's going to cost you a lawyer, you're done. You're both part of the process. You work it through. And, you know, I know people for a fixed price. I forget what the guy was charging. Let's say three grand to four grand. From four grand, start to finish, he'll write the contract with you, and then you're done. You know, when you go to an attorney, you're spending a minimum retainer of 7000 minimum. And that's before the paperwork, the phone calls, and the fighting starts. After that, you know, the average, I'm told that the average divorce in the United States is $100,000, right? Just think what you could have done with that money. You could have paid off a big chunk of your house. You could have paid off a lot of your kids' college. It's a lot of stuff you could have done with that money. Instead, you're giving it to your attorney so your attorney has a nice house. His kids are going to a good school, and he's driving, or she is driving a nice car. You know, people just got to wake up and know what's going on. And the system protects that, you know, it's, it's always a, um, a back and forth. Once you get in there, it becomes a battle. And I, one of the things that I, I'm really against is you go into court right in the middle of that high conflict. Why can't there be like a little healing period there, you know, and, and teach people how to work together with parenting? It shouldn't be a versus. It shouldn't be a battle. Um, yeah. If there was two people that came together to have a child, you should be able to come together to parent a child. Exactly. At one point, you loved each other. You should be able to, like, we should be able to be friends. You know, you, every couple starts out as friends, right. right? So when you break up, it's tough. It's really hard. It's emotional. But you got to say, we started out as friends. We, we're not together anymore, but we could still be friends, especially, hey, if, you, if you're a couple with no kids, you walk away and you, you resume your life. If you got kids... Then you have an obligation to say, listen, I got to, you know, whatever my feelings are, we're still friends. We're not friends anymore, but we got to do the right thing for our kids. You know, and that's, and that's the other thing that I want to see, you know, I want to see media catching up to that. You know, I want to see, you know, I want to see a television show where the parents broke up and they still get along and they're taking care of the kid. You know, it's an idea I have that you could steal it. I want to start. I wanted to start making reenactments of court cases, right? Oh, wow. So I wanted to, and like, you know, kind of like, it's, you know, you ever see those shows with like, you know, uh, they reenact the crimes, the crimes and the yes. what happened yeah. uh, or like, you know, docudramas. I think what we should do is to take, you know, get actors and take some real divorce and show what it's like. And I think when people start seeing, because what do people do? Nobody's reading anymore, Right. right. You're watching it on social media. You're looking at TV. You're looking at the, you know, YouTube. You're following podcasts. Start putting out shows out there that shows what happens with the divorce. These people broke up. Here's what their court case was like. Here's what's going on behind the scenes with their kids. I think if we start getting those shows out, you're going you're gonna to start catching these people who didn't go to protests. They don't read. They didn't know. But now they're entertained and they're watching this thing. And they're like, holy crap, this, is this for real? And that's another way that we could start reaching out to people. Now, if I had money and I could do production, I would start doing that. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, so that's you, an amazing idea. If you have a listener who will back you, take the idea and run with it. You know, get it done. <laughs> yes, know? sir. Uh, Sean Goodwin asked, oh, sorry. Uh, how do you show the government that they are the cause? Well, the government knows they're the cause because they're, you know, they're the ones doing it. They're profiting off of it, but they get to play stupid. You know, I think that when enough of us get out there and we force the issue and we, we blow open, the, we blow the gates open on, uh, you know, uh, exposure, the same, the same politicians that are profiting from this now will then start acting like, oh, my God, we didn't know this was going on. This is an outrage. It's like you knew all about it. You didn't just know about it. You profited off of it. 
So, you know, again, we got to just, we got to get out there, you know? Uh, Sean Goodwin also asked, will Dr. Carlos meet me? Sure. I live in Suffolk County, New York. I absolutely. I'll wait for him to uh, respond. Ryan Oldham said that this behavior has been taught over generations. This is definitely something that we just keep passing on to the next generation. And I don't know about you yeah, guys, but no, I don't absolutely. plan on passing this around to my kids. Yeah, no, it's well, that's why you do it. Right. That's why I do it too. It's like, I can't believe that this is here for us now. So like, I'm not going to sit by and watch it, you know, so I'm going to try my best to make sure that my kid doesn't walk into this. I don't want to see, I don't want to see somebody that I know and love. I don't want to see their kid go through it. So that's why, you know, I'm vocal. Will I make a big difference? No, I think that, I think that I'll raise awareness and from the awareness that I'm helping to raise a lead is going to emerge and there's going to be somebody who's going to make the big difference, going to be that big spokesperson. But until that person arises, you know, I'll just keep, you know, I'll just keep doing my thing and attracting the most, I'm trying to make the most amount of, uh, spread the most knowledge as I can. And and, and they're looking for that. Everybody is wanting somebody that's going to step out and not be afraid. I just think it's, it's got to be calculated, guys, because if you don't yeah. do it right, you can mess the whole thing up. Yeah. Biggest yeah, thing. So. But um, Dr. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us today. I could have sat there and listened to your story for hours. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you wrote a book? I actually started writing it down. Yes, yeah, so I need gonna, to get it. There, there's so much more that I'd even mention here that, like, when right. I write it, you'd be like, what? Because uh, – Life's crazy, you know, like all kinds of things happen. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to write it. And um, part of me doesn't want to write it because I don't want to, you know, I don't want my kids to read something where I'm, you know, I speak about their mom in a negative light. But I want to write it not not as a, a revenge piece, but to let people know that these are the things that are possible. And this is what happened to me. And I wanted to get exposure. So that way, you know, it gets attention and people like I, I want to force embarrassment. You know, I want to write it and say, this is what the judge did to me. This is how this judge abused me. This is how that judge abused me. And people to realize what's going on and write it down. So, yeah, one day, hope to get it out. I'm going to tell you, when you get that, I want to be the first one to buy a copy, man. (laughs) Well, good. All right. Sounds good. Absolutely. One question that somebody just brought in here before we go. I think this is a good one. Why do you think there's hardly any media attention behind situations like this? That's an easy question to answer. The, the courts will influence the media, right? So now if you start putting pressure on the courts, the court's going to turn around and put pressure on the media. So like, there's a lot of stuff. Like there's a local news, news station out here that they will not cover anything court-related. They say it's he said, she said. It's like, no, it's not he said, she said. This is the abuse that's taking place. This, is what, this person can't see their kids. This is that. This is that. They won't cover it because they don't want the backlash from the courts. So it's simple. So again, we got we got to force the issue. We got to get out there in numbers. We have to embarrass these people and force them to cover it, or do what you're doing and get a podcast, yeah. right, and expose it. Yeah, I, I think Mike Whitney said it the best when we had him on here. He said, "When they won't represent you in the media, you become the media." Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Mike's a great guy. I think he's uh, yeah. that man is awesome, dude. Yeah, he's awesome. He's a good Absolutely. guy. Yes, sir. But Carlos, well, thank, thank you, you thank you for the opportunity. Yes. And when is your next podcast available? Is that next Monday? 
Uh, yeah, this uh, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow at ten, I'm interviewing a um, an author called Peyton Nichols who wrote a book. It's a really good book that I uh, that I read. He's going to come on the show and talk a little bit about his thing. So it's uh, ten o'clock Village Connection Radio, and it's going to be on my page. Awesome. We'll make sure to share that for you. Thanks so much. Likewise, you take care, and uh, thanks for the privilege of being on your show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. Y'all have a good night. All right. Peace. Take care. This has been an episode of Dad Talk Today with your host, Eric Carroll. Thank you so much for being here today, Dad. It means the world to us. Join us next week as we release a brand new podcast. And until then, visit us over at www.dadtalktoday.com where you can find merchandise that helps support this podcast as well as a contact form where you can send in your questions, concerns, comments. You just need to reach out to somebody, need somebody to talk to. Send us that email, brother. If you're here, you're family. Until then, we will see you next time. Stay cool. Stay dead.